0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Americans are losing their trust. That was the headline from the Associated Press eight years ago. Americans losing trust in each other. You can take our word for it, they said. Americans don't trust each other anymore. We're not talking about the loss of faith in big institutions like the government, the church, or Wall Street. For four decades, a gut-level ingredient of democracy, trust in the other fellow, has been quietly draining away. And these days, one-third of Americans say most people can't be trusted. Forty years later, a record high of nearly two-thirds say... You can't be too careful in dealing with people. And so an Associated Press poll conducted back in 19, excuse me, 2013, eight years ago, found that Americans are suspicious of each other in everyday encounters. Less than one-third expressed a lot of trust in clerks who swipe their credit cards or drivers on the road or people they meet when traveling. I'm leery of everybody, said a 27-year-old. Does it matter whether Americans are suspicious of one another? Well, yes, say worried political and social scientists. Social trust brings good things. But lack of trust, distrust brings bad. But what happens if it's not just American citizens, but it's all the institutions? That's where we are just eight years later. Our institutions are not trusted. Our government is not trusted. Our elections are not trusted. Our courts are not trusted. And now we find that even the Pope can't be trusted. For those of you who are Roman Catholics, this came from Archbishop Vignano. He says the Pope... Pope Francis is a zealous cooperator in the Great Reset and will preside over the demolition of the Catholic Church. Now, we know that Archbishop Carlo Maria Vignano was the Vatican's emissary to America. He was a trusted fellow, but he doesn't trust the Pope. He calls him a zealous cooperator in the globalist Great Reset agenda, presiding over the demolition demolition of the Catholic Church in order to replace it with an order based on Masonic interpretation. That's what he said. And he's not the only Catholic figure warning of Pope Francis and the Great Reset. As National File previously reported, a Benedictine nun named Mother Miriam, issued a warning of what she described as a globalist depopulation agenda involving COVID-19 vaccines, at one point referring to Pope Francis as the, quote, spiritual leader, unquote, of the globalist elites. She added that the George Soros of the world, that is Bill Gates, everybody involved in this reset, so to speak, And the Holy Father, Pope Francis, is their spiritual leader. Now, I leave it to you to evaluate that statement. On the other hand, there are people who are risking taking great risks to woo and to warn not only Americans, but people all over the world. And why are they doing that? Because, friends, we are living in probably one of the most untrustworthy times in the history of the world. Now, there have been a lot of times in the world when things were upside down, uh, great troubles, world wars, all kinds of wars and rumors of wars and things like that. And now we, of course, have the great COVID war. And then we have the war against those that supposedly are solving the war. And then we have the war of those who say they're going to solve the war through vaccines against the very people that are supposed to be saved. Something's wrong. I think you sense it. You know it deep in your spirit. And fear is rampant. Fear is rampant, just as Jesus said it would be on the near edge of the second coming. Right there, in the book of Luke, he said men's hearts would fail them for fear for the things that were coming upon the earth. But how do we counteract fear? What is the substitute or alternative for fear? You might say, well, it's faith. Yes, but faith is a bit of an amorphous term. It's being used in so many nefarious and deceptive ways these days that it almost is meaningless in many circles. But if you really are living by faith in the Lord, trusting him, then trust is really really the operational aspect of our faith. And trust always is mediated by obedience. Always. Without obedience, it is proof positive there is little or no trust. Obedience alone does not necessarily reveal trust because you can obey from the heart with an open and willing, trusting heart, or you can obey just because uh, out of fear. That's why many people are receiving the COVID vaccines, because they're fearful. They're afraid of what might happen. They're free of being rejected. They're free of being ostracized. They're free of losing their jobs. They're afraid, 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 afraid. And Christians are no exception. One pastor just a couple of weeks ago stood and talked with me privately. I asked him about his congregation, and I asked him about, uh, you know, what was happening here after things were easing up, so to speak, with regard to COVID restrictions. And his immediate answer as he hung his head was, people are just terrified. They're fearful. He's talking about Christians. So let me ask you a question today. Are you fearful? Is your fear sort of non-directed? In other words, sort of a generalized fear? That's called anxiety. And the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. So, the question is, how are you and I as professing Christians to live victoriously in times like these? As the song that used to be sung says, in times like these, we need an anchor. or We need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure and be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Well, a lot of people these days, in theory, are throwing out their anchors to grip the solid rock, but in reality, don't trust the anchor or the rock. They don't trust the anchor, and they don't trust Jesus. They trust the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. They trust the courts. They trust this, that, or the other. They trust uh, Costco. They trust uh, your favorite grocery store. Uh, They trust just about everything, the American system. They trust uh, uh, free economics. They trust uh, uh, Marxism. Trust has betrayed itself out there. And today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about how to restore trust and come out of Egypt. I hope you'll stay tuned. Did you know, my friend, that over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, God has called his people out of Egypt? The words out of Egypt or similar words are repeated approximately 400 times from Genesis to Revelation. Do you think that should get our attention? Then how is it that it hasn't been taught on much? How is it that even the words out of Egypt mean something in many respects, other than what God intended them to mean when he called his people out of Egypt. You see, the problem is that God could get his people out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. But what does Egypt stand for? That's what we want to look at here in the program today. Because this is going to help us to understand why we don't trust it's going to help us understand how we are just like the ancient uh, Jewish people in the days of Jeremiah. That's right, in the days of Jeremiah where they had a confrontation with him and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And it had been centuries since they left Egypt, but they still wanted to go back. Why did they want to go back? It was because they didn't trust God. They got in a bind. They were scared, just like you are, or maybe, or a little bit. Maybe you're not scared, just anxious, right? (laughs) You see how we manipulate words to try to cover ourselves. But in reality, God says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, give thanks. How can we give thanks for that which we don't trust? That's our conundrum. You and I are human beings. We put our pants on all of us one leg at a time, just like our pastors and just like the Pope, you see. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. And God is calling every single one of us individually to trust Him. Now this is what we do individually. Now, when you and I individually truly trust God, then collectively we as a people are seen by God as his people who trust him, and then he wants to bless us as a people. And that's how it was with Israel. But they didn't agree with him. Here he got them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He took them out of 400 years of bondage with Pharaoh, who was a type of the Antichrist today, Satan's emissary in the earth. There were a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and he was going to take Israel down and put them in bondage. The physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob heirs according to the promise, and they were in despair, just like many of us are today. In despair, whining, fretting, feeling like we're in bondage, feeling like the weight is too great to carry. And so God, in his mercy and in his grace, raised up a fellow by the name of Moses. And he had to take him through some terrifying circumstances, raise him up first to be cast into the Nile River, where the alligators were crawling around, devouring everything in their path. And then he was retrieved by Pharaoh's daughter, raised up as her son in Pharaoh's own household. And then it was revealed that Moses was identifying with God's people, and it actually killed an Egyptian man who was uh, beating on one of the Hebrews. And so Moses ran for his life. He ran for his life to a place called Midian. So he was raised in Egypt for 40 years. Then he ran for his life to Midian, where he spent the next 40 years being prepared by God to shepherd his people out of Egypt. He had to learn a lot of things. You have to learn a lot of things through the things that you suffer. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus had to do. Hebrews chapter 12 or chapter 5 actually tells us that. And so after 40 years of wilderness living, learning how to be a shepherd, it was an abomination to the Egyptians. God said, okay, now's the time, and I want to send you down into Egypt, and I'm going to give you a message. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pretty simple message. Let my people go. And we don't want to go into all the details about how Moses struggled with God and, you know, didn't feel like he was able to do that. And God said, don't argue with me. I'll be your mouth. That's what he said. I'll be your mouth. In other words, what God was saying is, just trust me. Yeah, I'll let Aaron go on with you, and uh, he'll be a mouthpiece for you, but you be a mouthpiece for me and you're going to be my mouth. So Moses had to make a decision. Am I going to allow my mouth to become God's mouth? He had to allow his rod to become God's rod in order for him to fulfill God's promise of taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of the iron furnace to deliver them to the promised land, which is a type of of the end time, new Jerusalem and heaven. And so he did just that. The people struggled. They complained. They belly ached. But God was faithful. Moses was faithful. And after 40 years in the wilderness, God then used Moses to take the children of Israel out across the Red Sea into another wilderness where because of their murmuring and complaining, they were tried for 40 more years. The number 40 is the measure of testing. It's the number of testing. Remember, Jesus was tested 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. It's not that all tests are 40s, but it is a unique characteristic of the Bible from Old to New Testaments. So, this matter of coming out of Egypt is a big deal because God, in his mercy and with his strong right arm, using Moses as his minister on earth, was able to take the people out of Egypt, but he could not get Egypt out of them because they had to be willing to allow Egypt to be taken out of their life. So what is Egypt? What does it stand for? Is God against A geographical place or a nation called Egypt? No, not in and of itself. It's the spirit of Egypt that God is concerned with and has always been concerned with. And that's why over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the words out of Egypt can be found. Interestingly, Over 600 times, the word Egypt is found in the Old and New Testaments, and in almost every place, the majority of them, it's used in a negative reference. Again, it's not because of the geographical location, and it's not because of the nationhood. It's because of the spirit of Egypt. So I wrote a book called Out of Egypt, how to prepare the way of the Lord in your life for history's final hour. How to prepare the way of the Lord in your life for history's final hour. Would you be interested in knowing what that looks like? I hope so. Because if you don't, if you don't understand this, you may very well become increasingly terrified and succumb to, to the unfortunate consequences of fear in the days to come, if you have not already. And virtually every significant theme in the Bible can be traced to or subsumed under this overarching theme, out of Egypt. So, here's the book, Out of Egypt, and I ask right at the top of the front cover, could this be God's final call? And I believe, in a sense, it is God's final call. This final generation before the second coming. It is an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website. Excuse me, it's a $17 book, yours for $15. Uh If it had come out today, it would be a $20 book. But it's, it's yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. My wife thinks this is the most powerful book I've ever written out of Egypt, it will change your life, as it has so many people. SaveUs.org is the website. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hands. I tell you, this is a serious remedy for one of the most serious challenges of this moment in history. Our inability to trust and to replace trust with fear. So my question before you today is, where is your trust? That's the overarching question. Where is your trust? We know that fear is rampant. It's exploding both in and out of the church. Jesus said it was going to be that way. And we're in grave danger of setting our trust in the spirit of Egypt. We have to come out of Egypt. But what does that mean? We have to cease to live in the spirit of the kind of thinking that locks us into the prison of Satan's household. We have to recognize that way as bondage. And God has called us out of that bondage, out of that mindset that locks Christians into looking at life from Satan's point of view. It's the ultimate expression of the carnal mind. It's enmity or at war with God. So God wants you... And me and all of us to come out of Egypt. And we can't find any stronger warning about this than in Isaiah chapter 30 and 31. Here's what he says. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. And that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. And they may add sin to sin, and they walk to go down into Egypt. He's talking about his people. Clamoring, walking to go down into Egypt. And he said the children are those who claim to be God's family. And that's why he addresses them as children. By the way, you and I are seen as children of God. In God's eyes, the rest are of a different family. So the Bible, in effect, is a love letter from God to those who are his children, those who truly have repented, have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, are walking with him in the beauty of holiness, uh, desiring to do his will, and uh, to resist the temptations of the evil one. But, One of the greatest temptations that we have is to go down into Egypt again, to trust in the spirit of Egypt. So Isaiah says again, Woe to the rebellious children that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Notice, God's concern is that his children, not that his children cannot hear, but they will not hear. So as a result, they don't trust God as their I am. In other words, the one who provides, the one who heals, the one who strengthens, the one who is their banner. All of the names of God, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, and so on. We don't see him that way. In theory, maybe we do, but when push comes to shove and Pharaoh's horses and chariots are thundering now behind us or Biden's... Uh, Uh, COVID vaccine mandates are thundering down behind us and so on, then all of a sudden we resort to Egypt again. So we want to massage this a little more deeply. Why do we trust the spirit of Egypt? What is the spirit of Egypt anyway? Why did God repeat it over four Hundred times from Genesis to Revelation. Why did even Jesus have to come out of Egypt? Oh, did I take you by surprise? There is so much more
1: about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries' website at SaveUS.org.
0: I believe that the Lord put this subject on my heart today to be of great encouragement to you. Those who choose security over freedom deserve neither security nor freedom. If you put your trust in Egypt and the spirit of Egypt to provide security and provision for you, you deserve neither the security nor the freedom and blessings that God would give through trust. Because they all come from trusting God. In order to understand this a little bit better, let's take a look at the words faith and believe and trust. Those three words. We've talked about this before. Perhaps you have not heard this before, and so I'm going to share it with you. Hopefully this will help. The words believe, faith, and trust all come from exactly the same uh root word greek word uh root word all of them isn't that amazing so the reality is you really can't live by faith unless you know what it means to trust and you can't trust unless you believe and so those three words and the the nuances that each of those words bring that differentiate them uh, selves from one another, actually are what describe what I call the three legs of the Christian stool. The three legs of the Christian platform, will put it. Believe, faith, and trust. All three of them must be together. Can you imagine sitting on a two-legged stool or a one-legged stool called faith or a two-legged stool called faith and believe? No. The minimum number of legs necessary for stability is three. That's why God gave a husband and a wife and then the Holy Spirit to be his three-legged stool In the earth, the foundation for all society in the earth. Now, what if you don't have something that links those three legs together, you're in deep trouble, aren't you? Because you put any weight on it, and what's going to happen? Those three legs have nothing to support them, and so they splay, and you go down. Humpty Dumpty goes down. So what is it that ties those legs together? It's a four-letter word. Obey. And that's why Adam and Eve's stool collapsed. Because they didn't obey. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they didn't obey. They didn't trust God enough, even though he gave them everything. The only thing that was withheld from them It was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and even there, they didn't trust him. So what is your trust quotient? Where is your trust today? Not yesterday, but today. That's what we want to look at as we continue on here, looking at coming out of the spirit of Egypt to understand our the nature of trust, to understand why fear is so rampant and it is a contagion that is sweeping not only through the nation and nations, but all through the church today, except among those who know what it means to trust God. Meaning, it's not just a matter of believing certain religious facts. Meaning, it's not just enough to have uh, what some people call faith, whatever that is, however loosely it might be defined and amorphously. No, it has to also include trust, and all three of those have to be linked by obedience. So, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 14, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love me, you won't. But if you do love me and obey me, I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. And that way, with believing, trusting, and obeying, linked by obedience, we can have full confidence uh, and assurance of faith that God, who is God, is going to meet the needs of his children. So in front of me right now are a series of articles. These are all related to the COVID uh, issue, and I'm only going to spend just a couple of minutes highlighting these articles, and they're showing why we can have and are having increasing fear. 175 frontline health workers fired over vaccine mandate in North Carolina they were concerned about the facts concerning the vaccines not opinions facts they're the healthcare workers and they know they see it firsthand they're not they're not nearly as much swayed by the deceptive practices of dr fauci and joe biden or the cdc that has changed their opinion even about defining what a vaccine really is Another one, a top football coach fired after refusing to get vaccinated for religious reasons. He said, I contend to stand firm in my conviction of faith. In other words, he's trusting God for his provision, notwithstanding the fact he's losing a long-standing job and the respect that he otherwise had through that job. New England seeing a record COVID cases and hospitalizations and deaths despite a high vaccination rate. In other words, people were putting their trust in the vaccines, but the, the vaccines were not proving to be trustworthy. That's what Israel found out. Yet people continue to be told that they have to trust the vaccines. So they would rather trust the vaccines than they would to trust God. This is our dilemma. It is an unbelievable dilemma. And then we have, just today, a healthy California 16-year-old and a 17-year-old Canadian hockey player die after getting the COVID jab. Why did they die? Well, they felt that they had to get it after all was being required. But And they had no previous symptoms, no pre-existing conditions. But they died precisely because of what was well known in the medical field concerning young people getting the jab, and that is it's calling severe blood clots that are killing them. But they decided to trust what the government told them, to trust what the president told them, to trust what the CDC told them. You see our problem? Somewhere along the line, we have to decide who to trust, what to trust, and that's what that was what Israel's problem was. They could not decide who and what to trust. So God brings them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, and then also in the book of Numbers, and they're start they start whining and crying and belly aching because they don't want to eat manna. God's providing manna which was which was called angels' food. They didn't like angels' food. I guess they wanted to eat devil's food. I, I don't know. Deviled eggs or something. But God gave them angel's food. And uh, they weren't happy about it. And they wanted some meat. God gave them the meat. And they got so sick that many of them died. And so they screamed and hollered and belly ached. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So God said to Moses, okay, as they have spoken in their hearts, so be it. And every single one of them, he said, is going to die in the wilderness. What God was saying is, they are going to experience now the repercussions of their trust in the spirit of Egypt rather than their trust in me. I can't help them anymore. They don't trust me, and I cannot trust them to be my children. And do you know that not one of those 600,000 men plus women and children that left Egypt under Moses' hand, not one of them that was of an adult age, 20 and over, got to the promised land. Not one of them, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And why was that? Because the Bible says they had another spirit. In other words, they trusted God. No matter what they saw, they saw giants, they trusted God. They saw problems, they trusted God. They heard the chariots and horsemen of Pharaoh, they trusted God. So who do you trust? That's really the issue. Who do you trust? What do you trust? What we are experiencing right now, my friends, my dear brothers and sisters, is a huge test of our trust. The whole world is being tested now. Who will protect? Who will provide? This is ultimately the message of Scripture. That's why the theme coming out of Egypt is repeated at least 400 times from Genesis to Revelation. So, Did you know that Abraham, the father of the faith, had to come out of Egypt before Moses ever went into Egypt? That's right, he did. The father of the faith came out of Egypt. Then Moses came out of Egypt. God used him after 40 years to bring Israel out of Egypt, but he couldn't get enough Egypt out of them to bring them into the Promised Land. Then Jesus himself, the Bible says, had to come out of Egypt that it might be fulfilled out of Egypt have I called my son. Don't you think you and I need to come out of Egypt as well?
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Incredible, but the same can be found right now. Go to save us.org and click sell church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's save us.org. Click sell church.
0: Some people in times of stress are running for the cities. Others are running for the hills. Some are putting their complete trust in government to provide their needs. Others are putting their complete trust in their own preparations to provide all of their needs. How do we find a proper balance there? Indeed, there's nothing. Ab- there's absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, it's prudent to prepare for reasonable eventualities. God gives us the ability to do that, and he will give us the understanding to do it, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But how far are you going to go to protect yourself and to isolate yourself even from having depend on God? That's where the problem comes in. So we end up becoming our own I am. We end up becoming our own God. God made in our own image. And then parenthetically, we say, yes, I believe in God. No, you, you, you believe in God, all right. You just don't believe him. That's our problem. America believes in God. We just don't believe him. And it's that lack of trust that is killing America. It's killing our churches. It's making it impossible for us to truly make an impact in our country and the country is disintegrating right before our eyes, looking for government to be its savior. And now it's not just the American government. Now the Biden Association, I'll call it the Biden Association, uh, through all of their henchmen, are seeking to diminish America, so that America can no longer be trusted and there will be no more allegiance to America, particularly by those under 40, so that we can be assimilated into the next government that is going to command, demand all of our allegiance, all of our trust. It's called the Great Reset which is a euphemism for the new global world order that Pope Francis is seeking to orchestrate as the spiritual leader. Is this making sense to you? So let's go back to this matter of coming out of Egypt. Before we go further, let me just uh, tell you about the book again. It's called Out of Egypt, Preparing the Way of the Lord in Your Life. For history's final hour. This is the hour of testing, friends. This is the hour of testing. And the test is over what or who you will trust. That's what the mark of the beast is all about. The mark of the beast is the consummate test of your trust. And those who are struggling with this test as a, in a precursor way through the COVID vaccines and so on, are actually setting up and declaring their trust in counterfeits. And they're not even willing to hear facts that might countermand their distorted trust because they're so fearful. They're fearful of just about everything. It's more than anxiety. It's terror. And fear has torment. The book, Out of Egypt, it's a $17 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us. If you're right, add $5 for postage and handling. Now, very quickly now, I want to go back to... Isaiah, God's concern, you see, is not that his children can't hear, but that they will not hear. So God laments that his people who will not hear the word of the Lord, because they don't trust him as their I am. They want to become their own I am or they'll trust the government to be their I am. This is exactly what the Democratic Party is seeking to do to seduce America to trust government to be their I am. I don't know how much more simply to put it. It's a spiritual issue, friends. It may be taking place in with political ramifications, but at root, it is a spiritual issue. You must understand this. Isaiah says, Wherefore thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest Shall you be saved in quietness and in confidence? Shall be your strength, but you would not. But you said no. For we will flee upon horses, and we will ride upon the swift. So what's God saying here? Well, the horses are a symbol of the power of man. A symbol of the strength of man. Trusting in man, they said, we will not trust you, God. We're going to flee upon the horses. We'll ride upon the swift. So Isaiah says again. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they're very strong, but they look not to the Holy one of Israel, neither seek the Lord. I don't know how much more clearer you can get. Woe to them that go down to Egypt. Now here's what, what David King David, how he translated, he said, some, Trust in chariots, and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. When Solomon became king after David, God told him that the kings of Israel were not to multiply horses to themselves. They were also not to gather wives to themselves, especially from other lands. Now, why did God say that? Because he did not want their allegiance to him to be divided over their allegiance to foreign wives. Number one. Number two, he did not want them to put their confidence and their trust in their defense mechanisms, that is, their chariots and horses, because he wanted them to put their trust in him. There wasn't anything wrong with chariots and horses. It was a trust issue. Now, in the book of Jeremiah is one of the most dramatic situations concerning this. The children of Israel had been taken away to Babylon, and then there was a remnant. There was a remnant that was left in Israel, in Judah. And they became very much afraid. In fact, they were terrified. They were terrified of the Chaldeans. You can read about this, I think it's in Jeremiah like 43 or 44 or 45, 46. Anyway, it's a couple chapters there and I urge you to read it. It's heartbreaking. But it will help you to see what we're really talking about. So, The leaders of Judah, of this remnant now, came to Jeremiah and asked him to pray for them. Why did they ask him to pray for him? Because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. It says so. So they wanted to know whether they should go down into Egypt to flee from the Chaldeans or not. Well, Jeremiah saw through the facade of their alleged faith. He knew it was farcical, that they didn't really mean what they said. But he said, okay, I'll do what you ask me to do. And so he did. He took 10 days away, prayed, and God told him, you tell them, do not go down into Egypt because the very sword that you're fleeing from is going to overtake you and the famine is going to overtake you if you go down to Egypt you know how these leaders responded to Jeremiah here's what they said you didn't tell you didn't hear from God you didn't hear from God now why would they say that because they were afraid they didn't trust God period They were disingenuous in their minds and in their hearts, even when they asked Jeremiah to pray. They didn't trust, they didn't trust God, and they were hoping that Jeremiah would come back and tell them what they wanted to hear. So what did they do? They went down into Egypt and the very thing that Jeremiah said would happen to them did. It's a very, very painful illustration of how God's people refuse to trust him. So, as we're approaching the the end of the program here today, I, I would ask you to look at the things you're concerned about in your life. What are some of the needs of your life? What is standing out to you? What is causing anxiety, fear? What is causing your spirit to tremble? Where do you turn first for the resolution of your needs? What are your fears? Who do you really trust? Not who do you want people to think you trust. Who, not who do you want to believe that you trust, but who do you really trust? That's the issue. Is it your banker? Your stockbroker? Your doctor? The CDC? Dr. Fauci? Your political party? your psychiatrist or counselor, the government, the military, what is it that you trust? Is that where you turn first? Is that the first thought that comes into your mind? Or is it, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? You see, Where we choose to put our trust is the test of our faith and whether we really do believe. So when the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved in your house, there's a whole lot more implicit in that than just a mental assent to certain religious facts about Jesus or about God. It's about life itself. Unbelief is not just refusing to accept certain religious facts. It's the refusal to reconfirm, readjust your life to conform to the facts you say you believe in. That's the Hebraic understanding of belief. And trust is the description of what happens. The, the active ingredient within your spirit that brings that about. That the belief and faith are united in trust through your obedience. Now you can see why the word obey is the most hated word in the church today. We'll do everything that we can. Pastors oftentimes will do almost anything they can to reconfigure the meaning of the word obey and put it down and call it legalism or call it this, that, or the other. No. God is probing deeply into your heart and mind. Where do we truly put our trust? Whom do you trust? What do you trust? That is the ultimate test of our time. On the Near Edge... Of the second coming. Thanks for joining us here today on Viewpoint, my friend. I hope this has been helpful. We don't want any of that false trust stuff. Out of Egypt, get your copy. I don't think you'll be disappointed. $15, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Call us 1 800 SAVE USA. Become a partner, friends. These are ultimate times. I hope you can see. They are not here to raise money. We're here to get a message out to prepare the way of the Lord. God bless and come out of Egypt. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.